Welcome to the Calvary Young Adults Podcast. We exist to make disciples who live and love like Jesus. Here's today's sermon. All right, if you want to grab a seat. And in addition to grabbing a seat, if you want to grab a Bible, either a hard copy Bible or on your phone, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2 tonight is where uh, we're going to be if you have a Bible with you. Uh, As you can tell, uh, we have made our way through the Thanksgiving week and it is officially Christmas time here at Calvary. Uh, So that's exciting. Let me me just uh, pull the room uh, by show of hands. You can make some noise if you'd like. Um, For whom is this the week when it's like now Christmas decorations may go up? Who are our purists? Okay, Uh, you, you are disciplined. You have waited. Costco had Christmas decorations up in August, but you said, no, let's wait. And then let me see some hands in here from the people who had absolutely no self control and did it a month ago like my family did. All right. Very, very good. Um, so, so Christmas, I think we can all agree is here for all of us. And so tonight, Uh, Tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to kick off our Christmas teaching series. And so what this will do uh, is this will take us all the way up through December into our Christmas Eve services. uh, And we're going to look into the scriptures and we're going to think about deeply uh, what it means, the Christmas story for us um, this year. Uh, The the, the verse I want to start with is actually not a verse out of the Bible, but a verse out of a song uh, that you will undoubtedly hear, uh, even if you're here at Calvary this Christmas. uh, And that's from the song, Oh Holy Night. There's there's a line that is really iconic and it says this, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. And so here's what I want to identify. Uh, There's a weary world that's identified here in this hymn. Um, And I think what's true for a lot of you, and I don't know all of you, and I don't know all of your stories, but I'm willing to guess tonight that what we have in this room are a number of people who are weary. Like if you're in school right now, here's what we fully understand, whether it's college or grad school, this is an exhausting time of the year. But like finals are hitting, all of these things, these tests are coming up, it's sort of everything's culminating. You are exhausted and you're weary right now. If you're working right now, like like this is kind of a time of the year where things tend to ramp up. If you're in retail or if your job has you doing a lot of year end stuff, this is an exhausting time of year. And then for some of you, your exhaustion has nothing to do with school, nothing to do with work, has everything to do with that last week you went and saw your family and you love your family, but you are worn out by your family. And so you got together with them and it was so much fun, but then you kind of left and went, whew, all right, six weeks till Christmas, right? And so that's what happens to us. We get exhausted. This time of the year is like the most wonderful time of the year, but isn't it also the most exhausting time of year? And tonight, if you are weary, if you're exhausted, if you're tired, Tonight's message is for you. Tonight, if you're worn out, if you feel like you can't catch your breath, if this season has just hit you in the gut and you feel completely run down, this message is for you. Listen, listen, I understand that's not all of you. Some of you are feeling great right now. You're you're thriving. You're not exhausted. This might not be a message for you. It might be a message through you, right? Every message you ever hear from a pulpit in a church might be God speaking to you, but it might be God speaking through you to someone else who needs it in your life. But if that's you tonight, I want you to know something really clear and simple that will be the point of this entire message. And that's simply this, that there's hope for the weary Christian. If you are a follower of Jesus and you are exhausted right now, I want you to know the Christmas story is a story of hope to you. It is a thrill of hope where the weary world and the weary Christian can rejoice. And I want you to see that tonight in Matthew chapter two. There is hope for the weird Christian, and I want you to see how. Matthew chapter two, verse one. This is a familiar story. Even if you didn't grow up in church, even if you're not a Christian, even if you're not sure you believe in God, 
This is the story of the Christmas story, and you've heard this before in some way, shape, or form. Here's what it says. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, I've taught this before, I'll teach this again. Um, Every time the Bible tells a story, it's like it happened in this location, it happened at this time, here's what happened. The Bible doesn't tell a fairy tale. It doesn't tell a legend. It tells an actual thing that happened in time and space with a real God and real people just like you encountering that God. It says, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, where is the one who was born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. So you got the Magi coming from the east. They come to Jerusalem. And if you have not even grown up in church, you've heard of these guys. They call these Magi in the King James translation, the wise men. Maybe you've heard the songs, We Three Kings. This is where that whole tradition comes from. The wise men, the magi who came to Jerusalem from the east. A few thoughts for you. Um, Number one, there was probably more than three of them. Like it would be unlikely that three dudes would just kind of travel this whole way. It was probably a big caravan of them. We think it's three because of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, the gifts they're gonna bring in just a little bit. But it's really never says there's only three of them. Number two, they probably weren't kings. They were probably more like religious priests. They were probably more like kind of mystics or priests or fortune tellers or or prophets. And then the third is they were reading the stars, uh, but that doesn't mean you should. Like, I just wanna tell you tonight, um, the stars have absolutely no bearing on your life. They shape nothing about your world. Only God in heaven does that. He is sovereign, he is king, and he reigns over your life. But I want you to notice not just who they are, uh, but what they did. And here's what they did. They saw the star, they got excited that God was doing something in this world, but they didn't just hang out at home and go, that's awesome, God's up to great work. Here's what it says. It says, they come from the east and they saw his star and they have come to worship him. Listen, I think this is instructive for us here tonight. I think it is instructive that the the, the wise men, the, 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 the magi from the east did not just kind of sit at home and go, God is good and we're just gonna worship him. Here's what happened. The wise men decided they were gonna show up and worship Jesus. And here's what we need to hear tonight, that weary Christians should show up where Jesus is being worshiped. Weary Christians, if you are exhausted, you should be showing up where Jesus is being worshiped. In other words, you should be showing up to church right now. Like so often the temptation is, I'm tired, I'll stay home. I'm tired, I'll back away. I'm tired, I'll do my own thing. And it's the exact opposite. Sometimes following Jesus means doing the exact opposite of what your impulses tell you to do. And weary Christians should figure out where Jesus is being worshiped and they should join in with that. Now, sometimes I say you should show up at church and people go, well, can I worship Jesus on my own? The answer is absolutely. Can't I have private devotions on my own where I spend time with the Lord? where I pray, where I read the Bible, where I put headphones in my ears and I listen to worship music. Can't I do that on my own? And the answer is yes. But here's a distinction I wanna make for you. I want you to know that in private devotions, we are in the driver's seat. You're in the driver's seat. You get to choose what scripture you're reading. You get to choose what you're praying about. You get to choose which worship playlist you hit on and you're listening to. When you are doing private devotions, you are in the driver's seat. But I want you to know in public worship, you are in the passenger seat. And here's what I need you to know. It is so good for you to be in the passenger seat. One of the healthiest things you can do in life is to not always be in control. One of the best things for your spiritual life and spiritual development and spiritual formation is that you are not always in control. Like when you show up to worship here, you're in the passenger seat. You don't get to pick the songs. I'm sure you'd like to pick the songs sometimes. I'm sure sometimes the song comes in, you're like, I hate this one. And sometimes it comes on, you're like, yes, this one, right? I'm sure you'd love to but you're not in control. You definitely don't get to pick the sermon. 
I'm not pulling the room. I'm not like, who wants this tonight? No, you're getting it, right? That's what happens when you show up at public worship. We pray, we worship, we preach, we do all of this and you don't get to decide. And that is so good for your soul and it's good for my soul. So what do we wanna do? We wanna show up in worship. Can I challenge you this month? Show up at worship. If you're traveling with your family and you go to some other place, find a church. You're like, I'm in the middle of nowhere in the United States. Find a church. They're all over the place. Go find a church. Be at worship, even if you're exhausted, even if you're tired, even if you're traveling with family. Maybe you need a break from family and you just slide away to church. It's a beautiful thing. I want to challenge you to be at our Christmas Eve services. Sometimes people are like, it's too crazy. There's too many people. There's like 10,000 people here on Christmas Eve. Yes, indeed, there's 10,000 people and there's room for you too. Get yourself to Christmas Eve services. Why? Because we're Christians should look at what these wise men did, these magi. They show up where Jesus is being worshiped and it starts to shape who they are and shape how they see the world. It goes on this way in verse three. It says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. So, so you've got a character who answers the story. That's King Herod. Now, King Herod, you don't need to know everything about him. You just need to know what his title was. He's the king. He's in charge. Everyone has to listen to him. He has all the authority. Everyone has to do what he does, and he only has to do what he wants to do. And you got to imagine for a guy whose title is king to hear that someone else is being born the king, the king of the Jews, the king of heaven, the king of all the earth. He hears about this prophecy. He hears that someone else is going to be the king, and he is not happy about this. In fact, he's quite upset about this. Because when people who are in charge are told that you're not actually in charge, there's someone who is more powerful than you, their reaction is always rage. Their reaction is always anger. And the way you know this is true is that anytime you wanted to do something with your time and someone else has told you to do something that you didn't want to do, but you had to do it because they were in charge, you were angry too. See, that's the human reaction to being told we, we have to do a thing we don't want to do, or we don't get to do whatever is on our mind or on our heart. See, what happens is when we learn of an authority greater than us, our hearts can react with rage if we want to be in charge of the universe. And here's what happens for Herod. He hears that there's another king, and his reaction is not to fall down and worship like these magi, but rather his reaction is to be filled with rage. Why? Because when your heart just wants to do what you want to do, you will always react with anger and rage and upset rather than with worship. And the same is true for you. Listen, I want you to know that Jesus is Lord over your life. He's king. He gets to tell you what to do. And if you don't want to do what Jesus wants to do, you just want to live your life the way you want to live your life and do whatever you want on your terms and your timeline. No one tells you what to do. You can do that. You've actually been given by God the freedom to live that way. You can look at the authority of Jesus and say, I want nothing to do with you. I'm doing my own thing. I just want you to know the Bible has a word for that. And that word is sin. Sin is when we look at the God of the universe who has authority over all things and go, forget you, God, I'm doing my own thing. And we turn and we walk away from him. And just like Herod, you will experience what he experienced. Like I want you to know that persistent sin destroys peace. Persistent sin in your life, persistent rebelling against the authority of the God of the universe, going, forget you, God, I'm doing my own thing. I'm going my own way. It never adds to your life. It only robs from you. And right now, I wanna call some of you to recognize that there might be persistent sin in your life. And that is the reason you are exhausted right now. It's the reason you're worn out. It's the reason you're always on edge. Like think about it, when you are walking in persistent sin, what you're always doing is you're always trying to stay ahead of it. You're always hiding. You've always got something you're concealing. 
When you are walking in unconfessed sin, what happens is you start to harbor the secret and secrets destroy your peace. And the reason you know secrets destroy your peace is because if you have ever had your boss say, hey, I need to see you in my office right now, and you have anything you've been hiding at work, immediately you start to unravel. Why? What if he finds out? What if she knows? What if I get called out? What if I get fired? It's the same if your boyfriend or your girlfriend picks up your phone. Now, if you're not walking in some kind of persistent sin, there's not some secret you're hiding, they just happen to have your phone. But if you have something on your phone you do not want them to see, the moment they grab your phone, your heart rate goes up, your peace is shattered. Why? Because persistent sin ruins peace. The reason some of us are exhausted right now is because what we're doing is we're just walking in this persistent sin. We're rebelling against the authority of the God of the universe, and it's not giving anything to you. It's robbing from you. It's taking from you. And so what do we wanna do as weary Christians? If you're worn out and you're tired and you're exhausted, weary Christians should confess and repent of their sin. Confess it. Confess it before God. He already knows. But he says, why don't you tell me anyway? I already know. It's like when I bust my little child, my three-year-old who's done something he's clearly and obviously done. I don't need him to tell me for the information. I got that. I need him to tell me for his own heart. God wants you to confess it before him and then to confess your sins to one another that you might be healed. And then to repent is to do this. You've been going this direction. You plant your foot in the ground. You turn and you go back to the God who's never stopped chasing after you. That is what confession and repentance is. And that is what leads to peace. Here's what I need you to know. Making peace with your sin brings war to our hearts. Making peace with our sin brings war to our hearts. If you have gotten to the place in life where your sin is just normal and you've made peace with it, I always get drunk on Fridays. I always look at pornography when my roommates leave. I always cheat on my exams. I always steal from my employer. I always do this. It's always a thing I'm gonna do. The moment you make peace with that, your heart will be unsettled. It will be war. It will be chaos in your heart. But the opposite is also true. Making war with our sin brings peace to our heart. When you make war on your sin, when you put it to death in your life, when you say it does not get a foothold or a grip in my life, that's what brings peace to us. Confessing from it, repenting of it, turning from it. Romans 8, chapter 13, or chapter 8, verse 13 says this, that if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. Like if you just do whatever you wanna do whenever you wanna do it, it will not add to your life at all, but rather, but if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Here's what Herod does. Herod hears about an authority that's higher than his and he rebels and rages against it and it, he loses his peace, he loses his calm, he loses his joy. I don't want the same for you. If you're a weary Christian right now, so often what happens is we kind of think like I'm exhausted and I'm tired from this season and so surely I haven't done anything wrong. But it is possible that it is your sin that is robbing you from your peace right now and I'm calling you to repent, not because I hate you, but because I love you. And I want you to return to that peace that Jesus offers when we come clean, when we confess our sin, when we turn from it, and when we walk in the newness of life. Verse, 14, or verse four, pardon me, says this. It says, when he had called together all of the chief priests, this is Herod, he calls together the chief priests, teachers of the law, and he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. So here's what happens. Herod is panicked. He's losing his peace. There's another king coming, but he doesn't understand it. So he calls together two groups of people, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. 
And you know what they do in this story? They tell him what's going on. They say, we know, we know what's going on. We got this. You, you don't understand what's going on here? Let me explain. So they quote out of the Old Testament prophet, the book of Micah, and they quote that in Bethlehem, in Judea, there's a prophet who's writing, and he's saying in Bethlehem, there's a ruler that's gonna come out of this. They understand what's going on. They understand what's going on perfectly. And I don't think there could be a clearer contrast between two groups of people. You got the teachers, the people of the law, the people who know the Bible, they know the scriptures, they know exactly what's going on in this time and season. And then you've got Herod who seems to have no idea what's going on and it's rattling him and he's losing his peace. And this is instructive once again for us. So I wanna remind you tonight, I say this over and over that you will never know God's will if you don't read God's word. You will never know God's will. You won't know what's going on in this world. You won't know what's going on in your heart. You won't know what's going on in this church. You won't know what's going on all over the place if you don't know God's word. I think for some of us, we're exhausted, we're overwhelmed, and we don't know what's going on, and we feel completely lost in this world because we don't listen to what God actually has to say. This is the story for King Herod. The story for King Herod is someone who's lost his peace. He's lost his joy. He's lost all his direction. Why? He doesn't know what God has to say. Let me say this tonight to you if you're weary. Weary Christians should double down on Bible reading. Should double down on Bible reading. Like I know that seems so simple and so narrow, just read my Bible more, but I'm telling you this, if you want to find peace in this chaotic world, it's going to come through you listening to God through his word. And let me make it a little more um, specific for you tonight. I wanna ask you a question. And it's a question that this time of year, you should be thinking about. Like every time it becomes like December 1st and we're rounding out the end of a year, you should always be asking this question. And here's the question we want to ask tonight, November 30th of 2023, what is your 2024 Bible reading plan? What is it? And you don't have to have an answer tonight, but by the end of this year, you should have an answer to that question. Here's what I've learned. This is very profound. I'm about to just blow you away. The people who end up reading the Bible are the people who make a plan to read the Bible. Shocking, I know, it's such, such, such a brilliant insight. But here's what happens. People who are like, yeah, I'll read the Bible someday, but they have no plan, or like the people who are like, I'll get in shape someday, but they have no plan. And so like once in January, they show up to a gym, they're like, well, that didn't work, and they move along, and they don't ever get in shape. So what ends up happening is the people who read the Bible, the people who have a plan. And so I want to encourage you to be a person who in this month of December pulls together a plan of here's how I'm going to read the Bible in 2024. Not I hope I'll read the Bible, but here is my plan to read the Bible. Now I've said this before and I want to keep driving this image into your brain. Two ways of reading the Bible. Number one is reading the Bible like a burrito. When you eat a burrito, you do not taste every little bit of cheese, every bean, every little thing. When you eat a burrito, you are trying to get as much food into your mouth as possible because it's delicious and you eat it all together. You're not like, oh, that was a lovely bean, right? You don't do that on a burrito. That's not how you do it. Unless if you do, that's weird. But, 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 but honestly, like, so what do we do with Bible reading like a burrito? Well, sometimes we read the Bible to get as much as possible into us in a short amount of time. So sometimes I've made it a pattern in my life that every other year my goal is to read the entire Bible in a year. I didn't do that next year in 2024. That's my Bible reading plan. So every other year I try to read through the entire Bible. Do I slow down on every verse and try to underline and highlight and understand it? No. Sometimes I read a verse and I want you to know, I've been to seminary, I've been a pastor for 13 years. I look at it and I go, no idea what that means. And I move along. That's okay. 
It's okay for you not to understand it. Because when you're eating the Bible like a burrito, you're just trying to get the big picture, the big story. You're trying to consume everything you can from God's word. Maybe it's a shorter plan. Maybe it's a 90-day Bible reading plan. Maybe you've never read the Bible and you just want to read the 27 books of the New Testament in 2024. Maybe you print out a 180-day plan or even a 30-day plan where you read a chapter a day and you're not trying to understand every little thing. You're just trying to get the big picture of what God's trying to say. So you can read the Bible like a burrito. You can also read it like fine chocolate, right? Like fine chocolate, the goal is not like, how do I consume as much as possible as quickly as possible? The goal with fine chocolate is you break off a little square. And I've never once in my entire life broken off the square in a clean way. It drives me nuts. But you break it off and then you put it into your mouth and you taste it and you chew on it. And what you're trying to do is let it sit there because you can savor the flavor. That's another way of reading the Bible. Another way of reading the Bible is you saying, I'm not gonna try to cover the whole Bible. I'm not gonna try to do a lot. I'm gonna try to read a verse and really think on it, meditate on it, ask the Lord what he's speaking to me through it. I'm gonna really try to understand deeply. Maybe it's a book of the Bible. So, so one of the years, I, I did a thing where I decided I was gonna read the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, over and over and over and over. And this is how detailed I can get sometimes, maybe not so good in my mind. But I, I made a goal that I was gonna read the gospels for 72 hours for a year. So every time I sat down to read it for like five minutes, I would start a little timer and then I would note how long I did it. And so 72 hours, three days of my life one year, all I did was read the gospels. It was this beautiful year of me trying to understand Jesus a little deeper. I wasn't trying to get through it. I got through it many times. I was trying to slowly and deeply understand the gospels. You do the same with the Psalms or the book of Philippians, the book of Romans. Sometimes that's your goal. And here's the deal. There's no better or worse. What there is is a plan. And again, the only people who actually end up reading the Bible are the people who have a plan. And so I want to encourage you, as we close out 2023, maybe Bible reading has been an awesome thing for you. Make a different plan. Step into something new. If you've never read the whole Bible, maybe this is an opportunity. If you've never read any of the Bible, maybe you just do a verse a day, but whatever it is, you make a plan. Why? Because you'll never know God's will if you do not know God's word. Verse seven says this. It says, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me that I might go and worship him. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way. And when they had seen the star, when it rose ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Verse 10, when they saw the, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. So you gotta imagine this moment. In this moment, they're following after a star and God is clearly leading them to somewhere. The star stops over this place where it appears that Jesus is. And then it says in the text here that when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. But here's what didn't happen. The star didn't stop and they stopped following it and they were overjoyed and they celebrated and then they turned around and they went back home because they weren't excited about the star. The star wasn't the point and the star is never the point. Every single Christmas on social media, there are people debating the star. Well, was it a real star? Was it a supernatural star? Or was it a certain constellation that happened? It doesn't matter. The star wasn't the point. The star is a sign pointing to the Savior. The star is just a signpost pointing to the thing that's most important. And here's what I need us to know this Christmas. That every Christmas, it's possible to celebrate the sign more than the Savior. Every single Christmas, this is a temptation if you live in the United States of America. Because our nation, our country, our culture has made it so possible to love Christmas stuff, but not actually love Christ. 
And I'm not talking about people in behind a counter saying happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. I'm actually worried about Christians who get more excited about Christmas movies and Christmas decorations and Christmas cookies and Christmas songs than the meaning of Christmas itself. Like my desire for you is that you would not be a person who gets so obsessed with all the signs all of the traditions, the decorations like trees or the songs or the cookies or the trips you do or the family gatherings. Like there's this little um, kid's show my, my kids watch. It's like a Mickey Mouse Christmas. And it's this beautiful, fun thing. We let them watch it. It's so fun and they love it and they want to watch it every single night. But at the very end, like the big punchline of the whole thing is that Christmas is about spending time with people you love. And oh, how much I love spending time with people I love. But let me be clear. Christmas is not about spending time with people you love. Christmas is about Jesus. And if somehow your Christmas celebration is missing Jesus, if somehow in the midst of Christmas day, you never spend time with Jesus, if somehow in the midst of this season, it's so busy and chaotic because you're celebrating Christmas, but you're not actually celebrating Jesus, something has gone wrong. Why? Because a healthy relationship with Jesus takes time. It takes time. It actually takes time to have a healthy relationship with Jesus, just like it takes time, like time for me to have a healthy relationship with my wife. Like you got to imagine if I was somehow in a season where I was like, I love my wife. I'm so into her. I never see her. I don't really want to see her, but, but I really love her. You'd be like, Brian, you have to spend time with her if you're going to have a healthy relationship. I'm like, no, no, no. I think about her, but like, I don't want to hang with her, right? You'd be like, something's off there because it takes time to have a healthy relationship with Jesus. And so what do we want to do? If you're exhausted, if you're tired, if you're weary in this season, weird Christians should make time to meet with Jesus. Make time this month to meet with Jesus. And I don't know what that means or looks like for you. I think it probably means something different for each of you. I hope it would mean carving out time each day for you to pray, for you to get on your knees before the Lord, to seek him, to be in the word. But maybe it means something a little more extreme. Maybe your calendar does change a bit. Maybe you're in school and you have a break. Um, try not to like just get into break mode and just be like, I'm just gonna not do anything and check out. Like, what if you spent a day praying and fasting for the next year? What if you spent a day going out and worshiping? What if you started taking walks and putting worship music in your ear and just walking through the neighborhood, singing out praises to God? Like, go meet with Jesus. Go be around Jesus. God is sitting there going, I want to meet with you right now. And for so many weary Christians, what happens is you get tired and your default isn't to run to Jesus. It's just kind of cocoon inside yourself. And what we see here is that they come to the house and what do they immediately do? They get excited about Jesus. They're rejoicing because the sign points to the Savior. Don't get distracted by the sign this Christmas. Verse 11 says this, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary. Now, this is a really um, interesting part of the Christmas story that sometimes gets missed. By the way, I listened, I think it was two weeks ago when they talked about like somehow I love standing on this side of the stage. I don't know why that is. I think it's because I get to read the screen with you and I just own it. And so it just is who I am. And I don't think that's a sentence. But anyway, all right. So, so here's the interesting thing about Mary. Um, Mary is the mother of Jesus and, and she conceives as a virgin, but then there's Joseph who, who acts as the father of Jesus and, and these wise men, these magi come into the house. And one of the things that's often missed is the simple truth that Jesus was born into a family. He was born into a family. And actually, if you read the story of Jesus, you'll recognize very quickly that it is a very messy family. Like those genealogies you tend to skip over in Matthew chapter one and Luke chapter two, the things you just kind of tend to blow by and not really think about, those genealogies actually describe the family of Jesus, like his grandfather and great-great-grandfather and great-great-grandfather all the way back. And if you read through the story of Jesus, it is a bunch of messed up, wonderful people who are faithful to God and some of them are not faithful to God. And it's this long, complicated story. 
And then you've got the story of Jesus himself. Like the story of Jesus himself is that he's born to the Virgin Mary. And because you live in this 20th century right now, you hear that he's born to the Virgin Mary and you've heard that since you were a kid. So it doesn't sound crazy to you. But if your best friend came to you and said, I'm pregnant, but I've never had relations with a man, God put this baby in my tummy, you would not believe them. You wouldn't. You would look at them and be like, that is a convenient story. And even if it was true, you would have no way of verifying that. And so Mary has this baby and she keeps being like, no, I promise it was of the Holy Spirit. And I got to imagine there were people like, oh, of the Holy Spirit, right? I'm not trying to be disrespectful to her. I'm trying to empathize with her. Jesus was born into a family where everyone assumed he was an illegitimate son. He's born into a family that's messy from the very beginning. And I love that God puts him in that kind of family because some of you are part of messy families. For some of you, your family is your greatest joy. And for some of you, even though they're your greatest joy, they're your greatest pain. And what I want you to know this Christmas is that there is a way we think about family from the very Jesus who stepped into a family. Like, can we talk about the two heirs um, of family? I want to get to that in a second. I just think for weary Christians, uh, we want to develop a healthy view of family. Here are the two lies about your family that I just want to try to debunk tonight. Like whether your family is your greatest joy or whether it is your greatest pain, or maybe it is both. Lie number one is that your family is your straitjacket. So here's what happens for some of you. You grow up in an unhealthy or toxic family situation for some reason. Maybe it's mom, maybe it's dad, maybe it's both, maybe it's extended family. And you think to yourself, if I could just get out of this straitjacket, if I could just get away from my family, if I could just live differently than they did, if I could just get away from my family of origin, then I'll finally be okay. That's your family as a straitjacket. But here's what I want you to know. If you grew up in an unhealthy family, you running as far away from that family as you can do might make you different from your family, but it will not set you free. If you spend the rest of your life running away and reacting to your family of origin, you may be different, but you'll never be free from it because all you're doing is living in reaction to toxicity. And that never actually makes you happy. So people who think their family is their straitjacket, that's what they have to get free from. But then there's an opposite and equal error. And some of you need to hear this tonight, that my family is my savior. See, for some of you, your family is everything. For some of you, your family is your God. And so what actually happens is you live your entire life for the approval and for the applause of your family. I'll be more specific for some of you. You are in your 20s and you are living your entire life for the approval of your mom. And you can love your mom and you can honor your mom, but your mom is not God. And if you live your entire life trying to please her, trying to do everything just to make her happy, never stepping out and obeying God, if you think she might be upset with that, you might think that you are pleasing her, but you are not walking in freedom. You are enslaved. And so what we must do with our families, we have to have this accurate view that says, they're not my straitjacket. They're not my savior. They're not my everything. Here's three truths about your family. Number one, your family is a gift. Their gift, one of those beautiful things God gives us is family. Isn't it cool that we don't just pop into this world out of nowhere, but we pop into the world filled with relationship? And even if you go, my family is not a gift, they have been cruel, they have been abusive, they've been harsh, they've been rude, that might be so, but they gave you the gift of breath and life. Through God, they allowed you to come into this world. And maybe that's all you can thank your family for, the fact that you are alive and nothing else, but they are a gift. Number one, can I remind someone in this room, your family needs grace. Your family needs grace. Like, let me speak this to someone tonight. This is your mom's first time doing this too. She's just figuring this out. Sometimes we just want to blame and be angry at our parents because they didn't do it right and they didn't do it perfect, but you haven't done it perfect either. They are doing what they can. And so what do they need? They need grace. 
Can I remind you that your sister, however much she drives you crazy, is just trying to figure out this life too. That doesn't mean you excuse sin. That doesn't mean you to pretend it's not a problem. Grace doesn't excuse sin. It identifies sin, but then it offers kindness. It offers love in the midst of it. Your family's a gift. Your family needs grace. And finally, I want to remind you, your family is not God. Your family is not God. They are not the God of your life. They are not the ones who control your destiny. They are not the ones who shape everything about you. They do not have the ultimate authority that is God's and God's alone. And Jesus Christ, he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven. And the one who holds the ultimate authority over your life is not your mom. It's not your dad. It's not anyone in your family. It is your God who born you into a family that you might rise up and be exactly who he has called you to be. Verse 11 says this. It says, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. They see Jesus and their first instinct is to worship. And I love that there's a physicality to this. So sometimes we get into a room like this and people are raising their hands in the air. And if you're new to church, you're like, why are people raising their hands in the air? It's because it's not just our voice that belongs to Jesus, it's our entire body. What do we do? We come into a place like this and we worship, not just with our voices, but with our hands, with our bodies. We fall on our knees. We present ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is worship. When it says that they worship before him, I don't know exactly what came out of their mouths, but I have to imagine that worship in every culture and context for all of time has been singing. And so worship is always more than singing. It's an entire life that values God, but it's never less than singing. Like in other words, singing and music is actually what brings our heart before God. It is a central part to what it means as a human being to worship. It's always more than singing, but never less. And here's my encouragement to you right now. I want to be specific and practical. Weary Christians should have worship music, worship songs on repeat right now. If you're exhausted, if you're worn out, make a commitment that worship music is just going to be what you listen to. I had a year of my life, I'm not doing this right now, but I had a year of my life where I was just worn out. So I decided for a season, I think it was about a month, maybe a little more, that I was only gonna listen to worship music. No more podcasts, no more other kind of music. I didn't say it was gonna be forever. I didn't say like secular music is of the devil and I'll never listen to it. I just decided for a season that my heart needed mending. And when you decide for a season your heart needs mending, what you do is you apply the right ointment to it. And for some of you, the right ointment might be that you put a worship playlist on in the car and you don't drive anywhere without worshiping the king. Like what you might need for a season is to tune your heart before the Lord and actually have that playing in the background that the soundtrack of your life is not all of the noise of this world, but a heart that's oriented toward God. This is what the wise men do. The magi here, they bow down before Jesus. And then verse 11 simply says this. Here's where the story ends tonight. It says, they opened their treasures and presented them with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now there's a million different ideas of why gold and frankincense and myrrh for Jesus. Gold could represent royalty or could represent myrrh is death. And and there's different things. I, I think all of these things are interesting. To me, I found it fascinating that the only place in the Bible where gold and frankincense and myrrh are mentioned together is in the temple. Why? Because the temple is two things. It is the presence of God on earth and it is the forgiveness of God toward his people. And what is Jesus? Jesus is the new temple. Jesus is the presence of God on earth and he is the one who forgives his people. He has offered gold, frankincense, and myrrh because the temple is no longer needed. We have what we need in Jesus. So it's presented before him. And what do they do? They give gifts. They give gifts to Jesus. And to me, it is an interesting place to end tonight's sermon. That as we talk about spending time in prayer and spending time in the word and worshiping and turning from your sin, I want to just let it culminate on all of that. And yet this story ends with giving. 
It ends with them giving gifts before Jesus. And I think this is an important thing for us to recognize because for all of us, we need to recognize when we are exhausted, when we're tired, when we're weary, there is a default setting we snap into. I want us to know that self-absorption is a default pattern when we're tired. Self-absorption, you getting really into you, is a default setting when you are tired. When you're exhausted and it's been a long night, when it's been a long season, you tend to think about you, what you want to eat, how you want to sleep, what you want to wear, what's going on in your life. When we're weary, when we're exhausted, when we're tired, our default setting is to think about ourselves. But I also want you to know this, that self-absorption is a destructive pattern when we're weary. It is a destructive pattern in your life to just think about you. It's a destructive pattern in your life to get curved in on yourself. One ancient theologian said that sin is human beings curved in on themselves, thinking about themselves, talking about themselves, considering themselves, meeting their own needs and only their own needs. It is a destructive pattern in your life. Listen, I am not telling you that you shouldn't take care of your body. I want you to sleep. I want you to eat healthy, nutritious food that, that blesses you. I want you to be around friends. I want you to do things to take care of yourself. But I also want you to know that if your basic approach right now is, I'm tired and it's a stressful season, therefore I'm going to think about me more, the end of that road is never health. It's always destruction. Like your biggest problem in life is not that you're not thinking about you enough. The biggest problem for almost all of us is that we're constantly thinking about ourselves. We're constantly thinking about ourselves and talking about ourselves and considering ourselves and meeting our own needs. Again, I'm not anti-self-care. I just believe part of what it means to actually care for ourselves, according to Jesus, is that we care for others. Let me read to you this out of Matthew 16. It says, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses my, their life for mine will, or for me will find it. Like notice what he says. If you wanna save your life, if you wanna be all about you, if you wanna focus on you, if you want your life to revolve around you, to center around yourself, to be all about you, you will actually end up losing your life. You will not get the very thing you want to find. But then it says, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Here's what Jesus is saying. Are you exhausted and worn out and your temptation, your instinct, your impulse is to think about you? Do the opposite of that because that's where life is found. Listen, the world tells the weary soul to withdraw and focus on self-care. That's what the world will tell you. Are you tired right now? Just kind of get away from everyone. Are you exhausted right now? Just focus on you a little more. Are you just kind of having a hard season and having a hard time? Blow everyone off. Stop helping other people out. Focus all your resources and your energy and your attention and your affection on yourself. And this never works. Like if you've tried this pattern, I want you to know it doesn't work. If you're considering this pattern and it sounds really good coming out of your mouth, right? I'm just gonna spend a little season on me. I'm gonna focus on me and my wants and my desires and my things. And again, I'm for self-care. I'm for us taking care of ourselves. I'm for us eating healthy and seeing counselors and working through issues and all of that. I just want you to know if your fundamental orientation of your life is toward yourself, that is not a road that leads to flourishing it is not a road that leads to joy. Listen, the world tells the weary soul to withdraw and focus on self-care. Jesus tells the weary soul to worship and focus on self-sacrifice. That's what Jesus invites you toward. Jesus says, do you wanna take care of you? 
Do you wanna actually help your weariness? Do you wanna help the pain you're in, the ache you're in, the brokenness you're in? You can focus on yourself and you can make yourself the center of the world, but that never leads to joy. Whoever wants to preserve their life and keep it and make it about them, they'll lose it. But whoever lays down their life, whoever walks in self-sacrifice, whoever prioritizes the needs of others, that's where joy is found. Weary Christian, again, if this is you tonight, I wanna call you to worship. I wanna call you to sing. I wanna call you even as the band comes up in just a second here, um, even as the band comes up to just make this next time of worship just a time where you pour out your heart before the Lord. Not when I feel better, I'll do it right now, pouring out your heart before the Lord. And then I wanna encourage you to go to self-sacrifice to sacrifice for the sake of the Lord, to give up, to serve other people. Like, I just give you practical three things. Number one, serve other people. And if you're not serving in a ministry at this church or if you go to another church at some other church, I wanna encourage you to serve, to not take this season where you're weary and say, I'm gonna step back from serving and helping. I'm just gonna step back from everything, but rather to step into caring about other people and their lives and their needs and what's going on there to serve. Number two, I wanna encourage you to give to this church. I know we call for this offering every single week. And for some of you, you blow this off. I wanna encourage you, if you are not giving generously anywhere right now, if your entire life and all of your resources are focused on you and your needs and your wants and your comfort, one of the best things you can do to break that cycle in your life is give. And you might say, I don't have much to give. Even better, because you have an opportunity to step out and say, God, I don't have much, but here's everything I can offer right now. I offer this before you. I wanna encourage you in the midst of a December where we do a Christmas offering here at Calvary to give. And you might be able to give five bucks this December. If that's a sacrifice before the Lord, I believe God uses that in powerful ways. I invite you to give. You can give online and give at the boxes over there. Listen, if you wanna give, you'll figure out a way to give because here's what we do. We self-sacrifice. We give up. In the midst of a weary season, we don't focus all our resources on ourselves. We give. Back there on the counter, you'll see an opportunity to give this week. Um, these are shoe boxes and these shoe boxes here um, are empty and they have little labels on them. This is for a girl six to eight years old. What you'll do is you'll take the shoe box, you'll go home, you'll fill it with toys, you fill it with things that go down to Mexico for a great trip we have going on. There's a little card in there. You can kind of learn about this and understand. You go fill this up, you bring it back. We bring it back here, right, Sarah? Yeah. Bring it back here next week. Bring it back here to go down to Mexico. What a simple and easy way for you to get outside yourself. Because again, if you're struggling, if you're exhausted, if you're tired right now, the best thing for you to do is get outside yourself. Maybe the one of the most practical thing you can do is walking down the six to eight year old girl's aisle in Target and filling up this box and saying, Lord, I wanna give to you. I wanna sacrifice before you right now. So here's what Jesus says. Jesus says something shocking when it comes to your life. He says that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and he bought the field. What happens? He finds something that is worth everything he's ever had and more. He finds something that is worth more than anything he has in his life. So he sells everything he has so he can get that one thing. And what do we get to do here? We get to be a people who sacrifice, a people who think outside of ourselves, a people who say, you know what? Everything I have in this life compares to nothing compared to who Jesus is. Jesus is the treasure hidden in the field. We give up everything. We find Jesus. And what we find is that we have lost nothing. We have made no sacrifice because everything Jesus is, is more than anything we've ever had. That's the invitation for the Christian. Listen, I want you to know that there's hope for the weird Christian. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And when you lay down your life, 
when you worship and sacrifice and serve, when you get outside of yourself and listen to his word and walk in obedience and turn from your sin, when you do that, I can't promise you you won't feel tired, but I can promise you that you'll experience Jesus and it makes it worth it. That's the invitation. So right now we're gonna sing. Right now we're gonna worship. And I wanna encourage you tonight, whether you're exhausted and tired or whether you are energized beyond all belief, to make right now a moment where you pour out your sacrifice of praise before the Lord and watch what God does with that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for tonight and thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity we have tonight to come before you in song. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for this child born in a manger. Thank you for this child born for us that he might live and die for our sins and our salvation. God, I pray we would turn tonight from our sins and turn into the loving arms of Christ. And so God, I pray for the weary young woman in this room who's exhausted and burdened by her life, by the things going on right now. I pray that you would fill her with strength. I pray for the young man in this room who is burdened right now, who is weary, who is worn out, and who is stretched thin. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would meet him in his weakness tonight and that you would give him strength through the power of Jesus. So God, as we sing right now, would you inhabit the praises of your people? We pray this in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said real loud, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. I hope it was a blessing to you and want to invite you to join us on Thursday nights for service at 7 p.m. To connect with us, follow us on Instagram at calvya underscore or on our website, calvarywestlake.org.